Well, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter number 15 again, Matthew in chapter number 15. If you take your Bibles and turn with me there to Matthew 15. <clears throat> Mentioned as well, Brother Ted's preaching in Shawnee uh, today. He's not just laid up in bed and <clears throat> not coming to church. He's, uh, he's preaching here this morning and there tonight as well. All right. Good to have guests here with us. Encourage all of our church family and members. Let's get around and greet you know, and uh, get to know some that are new here. Remember what it's like when you were first here for the very first time? It's a little bit overwhelming. And so help somebody else out that maybe is here for the first time. We're sure glad that each of our guests are here. We have some I've met uh, even today. We're sure glad about that. And I'm um, glad you could join us and be encouraged by these same songs that we've been helped by uh, here this morning as well. Uh, we're in a series here in Matthew, and uh, we're, th we're thinking about the fact that Jesus is king regardless of what the situation is. And so we're, we're looking at uh, verse 10 through 20, but for the sake of catching the context, uh, let's go ahead and begin in verse number one. That'll really help us in, uh, in the course of preaching. I'm not promising that's going to shave off like preaching time, but it might help us along the way for sure. Verse one, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the, trans, the tradition of the elders. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Did you ever notice that Jesus was never caught off guard by anything the Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes said or did? He was always ready. i thankful for that. Verse four, for God commanded, he gives an illustration of their, of their really hypocrisy. He, he says, uh, God commanded saying, honor thy father and thy mother and, and mother and cur he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. He's quoting Old Testament scripture to them. Verse five, but ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest been profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made, here's Jesus' assessment of their practice there. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You, you have elevated your ideas above God's ideas, above God's word, in fact, <clears throat> which is his ideas conveyed to us in written form. So then he says in verse 7, Ye hypocrites, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, every one of us need to take heed to that verse, because it's so easy for all of us to draw near to God with our mouth, and yet our hearts be somewhere else. So he says that's where they were. And it wasn't just they're being distracted. It was just they weren't really truly living for God. They were hypocritical about it. In vain, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That brings us to our text in verse number 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, hear and understand. Now that verse alone, actually, if you'll really... Tune into what's going on right there. That verse alone, though it doesn't seem like it's 
very moving. That verse alone will bless your heart that he called the people unto him and said, hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, <clears throat> Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended? <laughs> surprise, surprise. Don't you know the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. If the blind lead the blind. <clears throat> then answered Peter. He must have been struggling with this too, don't you know? Peter often did, but I'm glad Peter speaks up every now and then. There's times he shouldn't have, but we can even learn from when he shouldn't have. But he speaks up and he says, said unto him, declare unto us this parable, this, this saying, this parable, declare unto us. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not fully getting this. And Jesus said, are ye also yet without understanding? Do ye not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth and goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draft. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from where? From the heart. And they defile, make unholy, uh, contaminate. They defile the man. Then he gives this wonderful explanation. For out of the mouth, uh, sorry, for out of the heart, Proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Could I ask you this morning, could he have gone on? Other places do go on describing. These are the things which defile a man that make you not right with God, that make you not acceptable God, the, with God. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. <sighs> Peter, uh, he's, it's going to take him a while to get this. Okay, so this is a part two. Uh, we, we mentioned the title last week. Clean hands, but corrupt hearts. Clean hands, squeaky clean. Qu clean hands, but corrupt hearts. Uh, this part two, here's the thought. How well you're doing depends on whose list you're using. How well you're doing depends on whose list you're checking. Whose list you're using the surprising source 
of sin. May God bless the reading of His Word. Let you be seated. Let's, uh, let's really give this consideration here this morning again, if you would please. <clears throat> One man who wrote a series of commentaries named William Barclay said this, although it may not seem so now, this passage, this passage, when it is, was first spoken, was well nigh the most revolutionary passage in the New Testament. Now that's quite a statement. You know, and for a man that makes a lot of comments on a lot of Bible passages, for him to say this passage, although it, not at maybe first glance, was the most revolutionary passage of the New Testament, I mean, that's really, truly quite a statement. But when you consider how much of our New Testament in the form of the letters like Romans, Galatians, and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, Philippians, uh, Colossians, Ephesians. I'm not saying them in order. I'm just saying all the books of the New Testament written by Paul and even into uh, 1 Peter and the epistles of Peter rather and, and even John, 1 John. I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, what Jesus got across in a small frame of time was truly Revolutionary to their thinking. If you were to interview a Jew, even modern day, but certainly in Jesus' time, let's just deal first of all with what happened then. If you were to sit down with a Jewish leader of the synagogue, say even some that we could even name by name, uh, Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea, if you were to sit down with some of those uh, leading Jews of their time and you were, were to interview them, uh, are you defiled? Have you been contaminated? Uh, uh, what defiles a man? Then they would come up with their list. I've not had contact with non-Jews. I do not worship in their pagan temples. I do not eat their meat that has been offered unto their idols. I wash my hands for so many seconds under water that is not just standing water, but water poured over my hands and very thoroughly washing lest the contamination of the Gentiles should reach my and stay on my fingers and I should pick up food and ingest it in my body and become contaminated by contact with Gentiles. I don't do that. I don't work on the Sabbath day. I don't eat these things. <laughs> Big old list. Sadly for them, bacon's on there. Now I'm thankful that God said to Peter, rise and eat and bacon was on the menu. Amen. Because bacon is good. And what goes real well with bacon is more bacon. Amen right there. So anyways, but they, they don't eat all these things. They had a list. In other words, they're saying our traditions keep us holy. Our traditions keep us from uh, other sinners. Why does, your, why does your rabbi, why does your teacher, why does he eat with publicans and sinners? They said with disdain. Why does your master, why does your teacher, why does your preacher, why does he sit down with those that are known sinners? Why does he let her touch him? Why, why is she washing his feet with her hair? Because he saved her, don't you know? But they look down their long pharisaical nose at the likes of her because everybody in town knows what kind of a woman she is. They thought that they were holy because of who they were separate from. 
from, from whom they were separated. They were separatists. They, were, they had their standards that exceeded the standards of God. And, and they felt like they were holy because they didn't have interaction with sinners. Well, if you interviewed even some modern day believers, even Christians, they might have their own list. I'm holy because I don't smoke, drink or chew or run with those who do. They can even rhyme it. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with those who do. I don't run with, I don't run with drinkers. I don't run with people doing meth. I don't get around them. I, 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 which, by the way, I mean, those things will mess your life up. There's no question about that. I don't smoke, drink, or chew. Chewing will mess your life up. Mess your teeth up. Mess a lot up. Anyways. I, I go to church. I, I don't miss church. I'm always in church. I, I don't listen to the sinful, rotten music of the day. And the, boy, there's a lot of sinful, rotten music of the day. I mean, somebody called it audio pornography. A lot of music is audio pornography. I mean, it's just, or violence. It's violent music and drinking music, carousing music. I don't listen uh, to that music. I don't watch television. I don't even have a television. Ultra conservative might say, I don't even have a television. I, I, I don't, I give my tithes. I give my offerings. I don't get around other sinners. I mean, They've got their list too. Here's the problem. All of that is outward. All of that is outward. Now, please don't misunderstand or come to the wrong conclusions. Oh, so that means that I could get around people that, that are sinning. I can watch what I want to watch. I can do what I want to watch. Somebody said, you know, when I, when I get saved, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch what I want to. When I get saved, I'm going to smoke what I want to. When I get saved, I'm going to drink what I want to. And then here's what he said. I got saved and I didn't want to anymore. Amen. See, salvation will change your want to. Because salvation starts in the heart. It's not the external conformity to laws and regulations and, and rules of man. Hey, listen, here, here is the problem with the Pharisees that we're looking at. And we're taking a couple Sundays to do so. I mean, we could have covered all 20 of these verses, probably in one shot and, and such. But we're really just kind of slowing this down because it can be a problem for us as well that we think we're holy because of our lists. And here was the problem with the Pharisees. They thought their problems or the danger of contamination was around them. Jesus turned it on its head and said, sure, you can, get, you can be sinfully influenced by a lot of influences that are in society. I mean, come on, let's just be honest about it. There are a lot of evil influences out there in the world, right? There's a lot of evil influences out there in the world. But Jesus just turned it upside down on them and said, listen, it's not just the world around you that could cause you to be unholy or unacceptable with God, but actually it's what's on the inside of you. They thought they wouldn't struggle with sin if they could stay away from sinners. I thought about it this way. If you were the only sinner in the world, you'd still struggle with sin. Did you hear what I'm saying? If you were the only sinner in the world, the only one in the world, You'd still struggle with sin. Well, I wouldn't struggle with sin because there wouldn't be any other sinners around me. There wouldn't be any other sin around, sinful influences. I, how could I struggle with sin if I'm the only sinner in the world? 
Your greatest problems are not around you, friend. Your greatest problems actually in you. And that, that was mind blowing to them. They couldn't, they couldn't grasp that because they worked so hard. I, I mean, really, in, in some ways, I, I mean, we, in terms of zeal and in terms of effort, in fact, even in many ways, I, I want to be very careful how I say this because I don't want to confuse anybody, but, but in many ways, they had, a, they had a good motive because they said, okay, God is holy. We don't want to break any of his holy commandments. And so we're going to set up barriers or, or rules or regulations far away from breaking that. And actually, that's actually a very good way to live. You need standards in your life. You need godly standards in your life because God is holy and his word is holy and he's given us principles to live by that are holy principles. And so because of that, I want to do everything within my well-being and within reason, within logic and even and, and just good common sense that if fornication contaminates us before God, then I don't want to get as close to that as I can. I need barriers. You need barriers to stay away from that. You need standards. Jesus is not teaching or preaching against standards. Some people swing all the way to the other side. You know, you got the side of legalism, but some swing all the way to the other pendulum and says, well, listen, you can just do whatever you want to do. And Jesus wouldn't do that. I believe if Jesus was on the earth today, Jesus would have standards. I believe there's things that Jesus wouldn't watch. I mean, have you thought about that? I mean, that may not be a new thought to anybody, but I was running yesterday and thinking about the sermon. I thought, you know, if Jesus was here, I think Jesus would have standards. I think he'd have dress standards. I, I think that he would have movie standards. I think he would have music standards. I think that he would have um, standards about how he interacted with women. I, I've, got, I've got standards on how I interact with women because, because I, I have a woman. I mean, my, my wife. I mean, even as I interact with a, a lady, I don't mean to be weird about it, but there's an internal clock that's ticking in my mind that I can't talk very long with this lady alone but without my wife being there. It's like a 15 to 30 second clock. And so, ding, time to go. <laughs> I don't try to be rude about it. And I don't just like stop mid-sentence at 30 seconds, but I, I, I'm just trying to say that's a standard in my life. Why? Thank you. Because <laughs> there are things that will defile you. There, there are things that will make you unacceptable with God. Okay? So Jesus is not saying, oh yeah, you live however you want to, don't worry about contamination, you're good. No, he's saying, listen, your greatest problem's inside of you. And this is revolutionary to their thinking. Well, really, in our society today, it'd be revolutionary to our thinking because a lot of people say things like this. And, and when we say things like this, we don't really understand just how sinful our hearts really are. We, we don't really take that into account. Just how sinful our I'm talking about us. I'm talking about even those that are of you that are saved. How sinful our hearts are. Because the moment you got saved does not mean that you are minus the sin nature now. You still struggle with that sin nature. Is that right? I mean, we still struggle with it. Until we are out of this body and in heaven, we're still going to struggle with sin. And, and I don't like that, but it is a fact of life. Okay? So we sometimes think, I like what Jim Berg said in his book, we're not imperfect people who do bad every now and then. We're actually extremely wicked people who only do good by the grace of God. We're, we're extremely wicked people. Now, you're not going to hear that in a lot of churches today that are preaching a lot of fluff. No. 
that are, that are just telling you what you want to hear, that, oh, you're a good person. You're a good person. And, and people that say, I don't want to go to church and somebody yell at me. I don't want to go to church and somebody preach hard at me. I don't want to go to church and somebody tell me I'm a sinner. What do you want us to tell you that you are? I don't want to lie. I want to look in the Word and see that I, and, and I know from my own life, I've got a sinful heart. You've got a sinful heart. In fact, the, the toxicity of our heart is so bad, the toxic nature of our heart, that all that has to happen for, for God to judge us is to let us have our own way. That's all that has to happen is he's just got to turn our hearts over to ourselves because we are not good people who do bad things every now and then. We're ex are you listening to this here this morning? We are extremely wicked people who only do good by the grace of God. You need help from outside of yourself. Because you and I don't even realize just how strong our, no, our nature is and our desires are and your heart is. You don't realize how strong it is because probably you're still going along with it. But the moment that you start to go against your sinful heart, then you face resistance and you realize, oh, my soul. The current, not just in culture, but the current in my heart is strong against doing right. I think I've shared this illustration before, but several years ago, uh, uh, we were uh, on a vacation trip and we were uh, in a place where the, there's a fast flowing river. In fact, it's in Missouri called the Current River. So you can just tell it's a fast river. Well, you could pay uh, about $50 and they'd take you upstream and in a bus about six miles, be about a six mile float trip. And you could float down about six miles. I love canoeing. I absolutely love being on water and love canoeing. And so, but you could also pay $25 just to float around the cabins, being cheap, I paid the 25 thinking I'll float upstream and then float back down. Tyler was about four. He's in the front of the canoe. It was absolutely no help. <laughs> Most of your power in canoeing is coming from the back, you know, and he was doing everything he could, you know, with the paddle. I'm not discrediting him, but anyways, he was not much help. We, we went along, you know, got out of the current as far as we could and start to go across the current, you know, as the river would bend and we'd get on this side out of the current, go up as far as we could. And listen to this, what took us about 45 minutes to an hour to get upstream literally took us about 10 to 15 minutes to get downstream. I did not realize how strong the current river was until I started trying to go against it. You don't realize how strong your old sinful nature is till you try to go against it. Did you have a hard time getting up this morning? Did you push snooze a few times here this morning? Do you not want to testify here this morning? Right? You don't realize how strong your nature is until you try to go against it. And so we grossly misdiagnose the problem in our life, we grossly misdiagnose just how sinful this heart is and that misdiagnosis then shows up in society and we think, well, if we'll just provide more education, that'll solve man's problems. If, if society could just have more money, if we just flood it with more money, that'll solve man's problems. If we could have more law enforcement, and I'm all for law enforcement, and we need police officers. Thank God for police officers. And, and we don't need to defund. We need to fund the police department because men have sinful hearts. 
So anyways, I'm just simply saying, government and money and, and, and entertainment and all these things, listen, that's not the solution to the problems in our world. And when somebody says, I don't know why he did that, he's got a good heart. He just killed three people and you're saying he's got a good heart? How, how can you say that? Even a mom to say, well, he's got a good heart. No, he doesn't. No, she doesn't. Little babies, you know, I, I was watching a, a little video of our newest um, niece and little babies, they, it almost sounds like they're saying this, I'm good. <laughs> Help me out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Good. It sounds like they're saying that. I'm good. No, you're not. I didn't say that. But. Hey, for somebody to say, we trust our kids. They got a wicked heart. For you to say, I can't believe I did that. You don't understand your heart. Here, here's what Jesus understood. Jesus understood the heart. And because he understood the heart, he knew there was not enough water in any vase or vase. Sorry. There was not enough water in any, anything to wash away the sinfulness from a man's life for him to be acceptable with God. There's not enough water in any baptistry. There's not enough money that you could give by way of a tithe. There's not enough churches that you could join that would wash away the sin that's in your heart. No, friend, there's only one way for you to be made right with God. But the Pharisees thought, well, if we, if we observe all these laws, not just of God, but also the ones that we've established, then we will be acceptable in God's sight. And Jesus called the common people unto him. He said, I want you to hear this and I want you to understand this. Isn't that wonderful? You know, you know why that's wonderful? I'll tell you why. Because the religious elite thought that the common people couldn't understand spiritual things. They thought that was for the higher ups. That was for the theologians. That was for the people of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus said, I'll tell you who I like being around is a lot of common people. You know what Abraham Lincoln said? Abraham Lincoln said, God must love common people. He sure made a bunch of them. Isn't that good? God must love common people. He sure made a bunch of them. You say, well, I, I don't even feel comfortable here today because I'm not like one of those church people. Hey, listen, you know who church people are? Church people are sinners. They got saved by the grace of God that are trying to live their life in holiness. Not better than anybody. No, my friend, listen, we're not better than anybody, but we're better than we used to be because of the grace of God. And that's the only reason. It's not because we worked ourselves up and we got ourselves looking good and, and we're doing good and we're doing this. No, listen, friend, we're just as sinful and rotten as anybody else is in this world world. And Jesus says, listen, I want you to come over here and I want you to hear these things. And I want you to understand these things. Meaning that he's saying there that they could understand those things. Peter said, uh, or the disciples said, Lord, did you, did you know you just offended all the Pharisees? <laughs> like they really needed the Pharisees? Did you know that you offended them? No, <laughs> I, I doubt that Jesus was sarcastic like we would be, but well, I don't know anyways, but Jesus said this, if you allow me to paraphrase, I'm not remembering exactly how the verse is said, but he's basically saying this, 
My father didn't plant them. They weren't his and they won't last. You know, Jesus is not an inclusivist. Jesus is not a pluralist. You know what I mean by that? Jesus is not of this opinion, well, whatever people want to believe, that's fine. You want to believe that? That's fine, saying it with a smile. You want to believe that? Oh, that's good. No, Jesus said, listen, that's wrong. My father didn't start that. that. That's not what the Bible says. You can't be saved by the law. You can't be saved by your good works. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. If you could save yourself, Jesus didn't have to die for you. But since you could not live up to the law, oh yeah, you might live up to man's standards, but you can't live up, you can't live up to the law. You won't even really live up to your own standards. Jesus is saying here, listen, you can't live up to the law, but I can. And he would. Peter says, uh, Lord, would you explain this? Peter had a hard time with it. So did the other disciples. Acts chapter 10, he, the Lord had to give him the vision three times. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Back to the bacon thing. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. You know why he was not rising and killing and eating? Because he said, Lord, I've never eaten those things. That would contaminate me. The Lord said, and he's saying right here, it's not what you put in your mouth that contaminates you. That's not it. It's rather what comes out of your mouth. That's what makes you unacceptable with God. And what comes out of your mouth is connected to what's in your heart. Because before you say it, you had to think it. See, your heart is your, your center of operations. Your heart is where your will is. Your heart is what you think, what you value, what you want. Jesus is saying here, listen, here's what will make a man unacceptable with God, what he says and what he does, and what a man says and what a man does comes out of his heart. What a man believes and what a man wants. So you can try to live as separated from people as you most possibly can, and you'll still be a sinner because you've got a problem in the heart. I just met a, well, I've known him for a little bit now. I've got a track here. It's called From a Buggy to a Pulpit, Brother Ivan Yoder. Brother Yoder's son, Tim may be in this auditorium here this morning. I'm not sure, but Brother Yoder, uh, Ivan Yoder, you might be able to tell even by the last name, grew up in an Amish family. He's got a picture here of him and his dad. His dad, his dad is probably, I believe his dad is probably in his 70s or 80s. He was here at the youth conference this week. He's awesome. Um, as one of the workers. He's a, he has pastored. But here's his picture right here as an Amish man. And, and it says that they were of the old order Amish family, like my father before me, and as far back as we could remember. He says... Uh, we did not have electricity in our home, and we did not drive cars. Our bathroom consisted of an outhouse at the edge of the yard. It was too close in the summer and too far away in the wintertime. <laughs> Horses and buggies were all that I ever knew. We lived on a small farm. Listen to this. We lived on a small farm secluded from the world and surrounded by only other Amish people. When a faithful Christian began to share the gospel with my dad... He came to realize from the Bible that the teachings of religion never replace a relationship with Jesus Christ. My dad began studying the Bible and accepted Christ as his Savior. 
Soon after that, our family and several others were forced to make a choice, renounce this newfound belief or be banned from our friends and family. I saw the gut-riching scenes between my other Amish relatives as they pleaded and threatened my parents to come back to their heritage. This was accompanied by the demand that we renounce the beliefs that we now had from the Bible. We parted and sadly, I would never again have a relationship with my maternal grandparents and my 13 aunts and uncles. It was a sad day, yet the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and I'll tell you why. You want me to keep going? Good. On February the 24th, 1984, at the age of 10, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Before that day, listen to what he says right here. This is everything to do with what I'm trying to get across. Before that day, listen, I had religion, but not a relationship. You see here, you see, here's the thing about religion. It's based on rules. It's based on trying to earn your way to heaven by doing good works. Actually, when it comes down to it, listen to this, religion is based on you. However, Romans 3 and verse number 10 says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not a good person alive today that's good enough to make it to heaven. We're all sinners. And the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. But you know that already, because if you have enough birthdays, you'll die. <laughs> that's the bad news. But the good news comes in the rest of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life. The gift, the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he says this, what you cannot earn because you're not good enough, God gives because he is gracious. Oh, and then I'll, I'll end with this, this part. Religion can give you a false hope, but Christ will give you assurance. They thought they were doing well because they were living the Amish lifestyle away from all the sinners. I have a man, a pastor friend up in, up in Kansas, Garnett, Kansas, that works among the Amish and seen a lot of them saved. And works among the German Baptists, kind of a very similar situation to the Amish. I grew up around, uh, around Mennonites and, and a lot of them very much the same way. They feel like they're right with God because they're separated from the world. But the problem is they took something with them that defiles them. You'll never get away from it. You know what you need? A new one. You know what Jesus gives? A new one. A new nature. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Paul said, Brother David's going to read in here just a few moments. He's going to read, not by works of righteousness, righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Not, not by the works, but rather his, his righteousness he gives to us. And this was mind-blowing to Peter because all of his life, he grew up thinking, well, you have, to, you have to do all the things that the Pharisees are saying. And Jesus is pointing out their hypocrisy and saying, listen, they look real good on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. And Jesus says it's out of the heart that proceed evil thoughts, murders, and fornications, and adulteries, and false witness." And blasphemy, speaking ill of others, that all comes out of the heart and that's what defiles a man. But to eat food that came from unwashed hands doesn't defile a man. 
Jesus is saying, contrary to what the religious leaders of his day and time taught, that man's greatest problems are not around them. They're in them. It's in the heart. And you need the grace of God to be saved. Now, let me ask you today. Where do you stand with God? Because if all you have is an outward conformity to the law or an outward conformity to the rules, that's not good enough. Because it just depends on whose list you're going by. If you go by your own list, you might be saying, yeah, I'm doing real good. But how about we take out the list of what Jesus is? And if we compare you to him, you're going to come up short. And that's why none of us could be saved by keeping and doing a, trying to do a good effort at it. We're not going to make it. But today, here's what Jesus offers you. His righteousness. How much does that cost? Free. He paid the penalty for your sin. He knows your sinful heart and he still loves you. God commended through what that word means is this. He showed his love towards us even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you should confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too will be saved. For whosoever, Jew or Gentile, whosoever, doesn't matter what your background is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you, have you personally trusted him today? There's only one way to be saved, and that's by grace through faith. If you're trusting your church membership, if you're trusting that you're baptized as a child, if you're trusting that you're doing better than you used to be doing, if you're trusting that you're not as bad as other people that you know, you're underestimating the sinfulness of your heart and you need to be born again. And then let, let me just make this application here right quick and we'll, we'll have our invitation. But let, let's keep this in mind, those of you that are saved and members of this church, that the essence of the Christian life is not about a bunch of rules, but it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ that of its own nature then establishes its own set of standards and rules because of love for Him, not because we're in legalism. Does that make sense to you? Because when, I, when I'm, I'm in a relationship with my wife, and I know there's certain things that she doesn't like, so I don't do those things, or I try not to, because of a relationship with her. And that's how the Christian life is to be lived, as a relationship, not checking off a bunch of boxes. You'll wear yourself out trying to live up to man's standards without a relationship. But if you have a relationship, really, his, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. But if you're trying to do the Christian life without a relationship with him, you're burdened down. But if you get to know him, you're yoking with him, he carries it. And the Christian life is a delight and a joy. We've got to understand our heart. we got to understand just how sinful our hearts are. The worst thing you could do is follow your heart. I just heard the testimony of a young man who said that very thing. He said, Brother Jason, I had somebody tell me, you just got to follow your heart. He said, I was sitting there looking at the man thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> he said, but that's exactly what I did. And I made a big old mess of my life. Your heart, my heart, the Bible says, is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord. He tries the reins. He knows the heart. He knows your heart today.
And thank God he'll give you grace and mercy. Let's stand together here this morning. I sure thank you, dear God, that you wanted the common people to understand the source of sin and that it's in the very heart. Lord, we're foolish to live just an externally Christian life going by rules and standards without a relationship. It's a burden. But God, when we enter into a relationship with you, then there's peace and there's joy. God, I thank you that you had this discussion with the disciples of that day and that it's been preserved for us today because we sure need it still today. Help us to understand our greatest problems are not around us, but they're in us. And help us to understand that our life is only pure as its source. And so, God, we need you to work in the heart because, Lord, only you can cleanse the heart and make it pure by the work of regeneration and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart and the application of your word and your truth in our lives, God, just for your work to be uh, done in our hearts. Oh, God, to set our hearts right with you, God, and help us, Lord, at the very heart of the matter, I pray. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Let's stand together here this morning. We're going to sing, we are singing, I'm sorry. Jesus paid it all, page 241. God spoke to your heart. Thank God he paid the price. You don't have to.